1: This is Joe Polizzi, author of Content Inc., the second edition. Start a content-first business, build a massive audience, and become radically successful with little to no money. And you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett.
0: Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Joe Polizzi to talk about the new second edition of Content Inc., Start a Content-First Business, Build a Massive Audience, and Become Radically Successful with Little or No Money, published by McGraw-Hill. Joe Polizzi is the best-selling author of Content Inc., Killing Marketing, and Epic Content Marketing, which was named a must-read business book by Fortune magazine. His novel, The Will to Die, was awarded Best Suspense Book of 2020 by the National Indie Excellence Awards. He has founded four companies, including digital content news site, The Tilt, as well as the Content Marketing Institute. In 2014, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Content Council. His podcast series, This Old Marketing with Robert Rose, has millions of downloads from over 150 countries. His foundation, The Orange Effect, delivers speech therapy and technology services to children in over 35 states. And... Interesting fact, Joe Polizzi is now one of only two authors in the Marketing Book Podcast Five Timers Club. Joe, congratulations on the second edition of Content, Inc., and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Douglas, you could have skipped all the first part of that because it's that last thing you mentioned that's the most important to me right now, that this is my fifth time on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I, I actually need to move. I need to put that We just talked about it before the show. I need to put that as part of my bio because it's a thing. (laughs) Right. People are talking about your podcast all over LinkedIn. You know, you you post something, it gets all kinds of traffic. People are telling me why aren't why can't I beat Mark Schaefer and be the guy that's on the most? And now I have to write another marketing book after this one.
0: Well, you are so. in a you are in the upper echelons. There's uh, Mark Schaefer's been on seven times, oh, and uh, you just
1: you're just twisting the knife in. Yeah, a Yeah, well, bit deeper. but. <laughs>
0: Mark Schaefer, I mean, he's very competitive. I'm sure he's listening to this right now.
1: Mark, I'm coming for you. Yeah. I'm coming for I'm gonna I you know, I have to like make some mini books or like a, a small like episodic marketing book series because then yes. I think I could pass him. That's so kind that's kinda of how
0: Rohit Bhargava got so high up because I would interview him every year about his book, uh, Non Obvious Megatrends, but he stopped doing that. Of course, he's a book publisher now, so he's got lots of books, but it's it's a celebrity death match out there between uh, Joe Polizzi and uh, Mark Schaefer and a couple of the others. Now, this is technically the seventh time you've been on the show, because I interviewed you twice for Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, which we did you know, during the lockdown. Which was
1: fantastic, which actually allowed me to drink while I was doing a podcast, and I appreciate that.
0: Yes, and you... Here's another thing for the resume. Uh, you were the only author I interviewed twice for Authors in Quarantine Getting
1: Cocktails, so clearly Joe Polizzi doesn't mind drinking with me. No, no, absolutely not. And I think the first time I had a Corona, because I just thought that that was the thing to do. Yes. That was really early.
0: Yeah, and then in it was Tito's home. Vodka, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, <laughs> you know, it's all, my first go-to is always Tito's, uh-huh. because, of course, you know, vodka. But... Uh, sometimes I, I don't want to to go all in, so I'll, I'll just do do a beer.
0: Yeah. And then I understand after that, Pam, your wife, said, uh, I, I think maybe you better take a break from that Burdette guy. I, I, I'd like to see you do some more productive things. And I understand that. So I appreciate her letting you come on uh, for this the fifth time. And I should also say that Joe Polizzi, in all seriousness, you were guest number three. And this is we've done over three hundred and thirty of these episodes and you were a very early supporter of the marketing book podcast and I and I sincerely no, appreciate No, hey, that.
1: I still remember when we met at inbound, I believe. Oh yes. I stalked I you my, there. I did my little 13 minute thing. That's all they would give me. Uh, you know, God <laughs> right. bless HubSpot. And, <laughs> and I went and and I saw you in the back and you had epic content marketing at the time on uh, my book. And uh, we got the picture together, and uh, it was just a great time chatting. And we've been friends ever since. So it's funny how things happen. And you are a perfect example of my book problem, where I would have read the books, and
0: then like on a Kindle, and then I would know that somebody like Joe Polizzi was going to be at a conference. I would buy the hard copy, put it in the suitcase, fly to the conference and then carry the book around with me all day. And then I saw where you were going to be. And it was on the other side of the convention center. And you said, this is when I'm going to be finished. And I said, I'm going to be there. And sure, you called security just to be sure that I wasn't you know, uh, but a it's weird a great, stalker.
1: <laughs> it's such a great strategy you have, though. Because if you are an author, and you know this, you've interviewed the best marketing authors on the planet. If you see somebody that's holding your book, you absolutely stop oh. every time. There's no way that I'm going to brush you off when you're holding my book in your hand. I'm like, right. hey, let's have a picture. Let's go have a drink. Of course. <laughs> right. So. Well, you know,
0: Joe Polizzi collects Cleveland Browns autographed memorabilia. Uh, I collect autographed sales and marketing books. So. <laughs>
1: The, there you go. <laughs> both of them are worthless both those collections <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know baker mayfield's got it going on i enjoy yeah, watching yeah. him it, he, uh, we're doing better we're we're absolutely when we go to games now it, it's at least more browns fans than <laughs> the visiting team at all <laughs> right home.
0: So. well speaking of cleveland joe you know when, when you're in the marketing book podcast five timers club you you get free upgrades and I don't know what the upgrades are yet, but they are free. But more important than that, I do a lot of research for these interviews, and I know where you live in Cleveland. And there's a Taco Bell uh, about six minutes away on West 150th Street. I think you probably know where that it's one is. Kind of,
1: yeah, it's kind of freak, – you're freaking me out right yeah, now. But okay. Yes, there is.
0: So – Here's what you do cuz I know your boys are 18, 19, 20 and they're probably starting to think, I don't know, maybe dad's not quite as cool as 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 you you probably thought you were. It's certainly the case with me. But here's how here's how to get them back. You get the boys in the car, you drive to that Taco Bell. Uh, don't go in. Never go into a Taco Bell, but oh, no, 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 no. pull up to the speaker where you order your food and just you don't even have to say your name because they won't know who Joe Polizzi is. But you say, "I am a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five Timers Club," and watch what happens. Just it, it's—I've already talked to them. They're ready for you. It's—it's it's, things are going to start happening.
1: Well, when I say that, <laughs> will I get food? That's the—that's the, that's the Joe. I, I'm just will, saying,
0: but, big things are going to happen, yeah.
1: and I, I think, think there's th- a, sep- there's a se- whole separate <laughs> lane for the for the Five Timers Club. Apparently,
0: well, uh, yeah. They kind of keep it under wraps, but they're going to be, uh, <laughs> things are going to start happening for Joe I Polizzi. can't believe
1: you pulled out this Taco Bell on West 150th Street. Jeez.
0: well i know you know where it is so. i know
1: exactly where it's a mcdonald's right next door to it at a rally's two two uh, stores down so oh, there you go okay and an well, abandoned kmart across the street which is <laughs> supposed to be there's some, some big idea going in where that kmart was but who knows oh, oh yeah. i hope so it's yeah. gonna happen something crazy
0: all right well let me read a quick uh, intro from the the book and we'll uh jump into some of the key concepts here all right you're right what's the big deal? Here's the underlying concept for Content Inc. By focusing on building an audience first and defining products and services second, a person can change the rules of the game and significantly increase the odds of financial and personal success. Let me repeat that. I believe the absolute best way to start and grow a business today is not by launching or pushing products, but by creating a system to attract, build, and retain an audience. Once you've built a loyal audience, one that loves you and the information you send, you can most likely sell the audience anything you want. This model is called Content Inc. The content entrepreneurs who dedicate their time to this model are wildly successful in their business and personal lives. If you execute the Content Inc. model and deliver desirable information consistently to a specific audience – $5 five million dollars in five years is most certainly within reach for anyone in the world now for those listening who think oh that's pie in the sky can't happen let me tell you a little story about a guy I like to call Joe Polizzi and I'm not talking out of telling tales out of school because I read this in your book
1: yeah I actually put it in there yeah go ahead
0: within 10 years, of doing this, and you had some ups and downs along the way. And oh, yeah. again, fortunately, you're uh, both of us married up when we married women named Pam, Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, she kept you on uh, on the, in the right direction. But within ten years, one day you l- looked at your bank account online, and it had increased one day seventeen point nine million dollars.
1: I remember that day.
0: Yeah, couldn't believe it. Yeah. It can be done. It can be done. Joe over-delivered, as, as usual. But the, the majority of the examples in this book involve a new or a small organization. But for those listeners who think that didn't apply to them, this model applies to really a business at any stage. And and we can certainly talk about that. And just so people can understand, we, we won't be able to get through all all the parts of the, the model. But I just wanted to list list uh, the, the key parts. The, the One is the sweet spot and then the content tilt, and then the base, and then audience building, uh, revenue, uh, diversify, and sell or go big. So there's seven uh, sections. But before we get to that, I want to ask you about the secret to your success. <laughs> That's, I've, I've, read, I've read things you've written about this. I've seen you give a talk about this. And you write, two daily behaviors have made all the difference for me writing down my goals and consistently reviewing those goals. Why am I telling you this and what does it have to do with content marketing and this book? Please explain.
1: Well, I mean, as you know, the, first of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction, and I, I I appreciate that you're expanding it because the book is written. I wrote the book with an entrepreneur in mind, but you can use this model at any size company if you want to build an audience, and if you, you want to call it content marketing, that's fine. This is the same model I would use if you're IBM or a mom and pop. So, but as as I talk about in the book, I set a goal and. 2008, I think, and I wrote that goal down, and I said, "Our, my, my, we will, you know, sell our organization in 2015 for at least 15 million dollars." And I wrote that when I had two nickels in my pocket and just some silly ideas of what became the Content Marketing Institute. But and you, I'm, you, I'm you picked
0: that number because you wanted to clear 10 million. Uh, based on all the other things that you and your family wanted to do.
1: That's ex- exactly right. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I, we did the, you know, my wife and I did the analysis. We said, okay, here's what we want to do. We want to do a lot more nonprofit. I don't want to be working at this time when our kids are a certain age and want to have enough time to spend with them. So we did, we said, okay, well, that's $15 million and we need to do that by 2015. So I'm like, okay, well, great. I, I launched the business with my wife in 2007, We created this Goal setting formula, which is nothing new, and I, you know, took from you know, Stephen Covey and, and took a little bit from Napoleon Hill and put this thing together and said, "All right, uh, really, there's three R's." And I talk about this. I think it's in the first chapter, but it's this idea of rec- record, repeat, remove. Mm-hmm. And I believe all, all human beings should do this. And if you're saying, you know, what is the difference that uh, in wh- what our process was, what my process was over everything else, it's this. And so anybody that's going to say, I want to do the content model, or I want to get this job, or I want to make a million dollars, they could do record, repeat, remove, which is basically first, write your goals down. like What are they? And you write them down either in the present or the past tense, like they already happened. Like I just told you with my 2008 goal. Then you repeat them twice a day. You get up in the morning and you read that goal, spend 10 to 15 minutes in the morning, 10 to 15 minutes before you go to sleep at night and read that goal again. Cause I want your brain working in overtime while, you know, while you're sleeping, while you're dreaming, thinking about all the ways you're going to accomplish this goal. And then remove is one I added a little bit later, but is just as important. And talk about some of this in the book and some of the research behind how people spend their time. People spend so much time on watching Netflix and. Doing things that aren't as, not that Netflix is not productive, but you know, you'd probably don't have to watch TV five to seven times, uh, five to seven hours a day. You need to look at your day, analyze your day, and remove all the impediments that are in your way so that you can be successful. Record, repeat, remove. You do that process, and I believe this is the process any marketer, any entrepreneur needs to do before they they launch anything. And then that's my daily practice. And I feel that's why you know how audacious is it, Douglas, to to say, oh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna sell my company for fifteen million dollars. I know I couldn't years.
0: believe it when I was reading that in the book, but
1: nobody really does that. But I I really do believe that the fact that I was thinking about this all the time, and I and then I thought about, okay, well, if I'm making a decision, strategic or tactical, in the business, well, then. I have to know that, okay, is this going to add to that valuation that I can sell it at a certain point? Or is this going to move me forward or move me you know, further behind? So it's really important to keep that in mind all the time.
0: Yes. And of course, we have to bring it back to content marketing because you also write a lot of the same characteristics came to the surface for what makes for a successful content marketer. And you write, they do these two things differently from everyone else. They document their content marketing strategy in some way, written, electronic, et cetera, i.e. they have one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. they review and refer to the plan on a regular basis. So let's jump ahead, though, uh, and look at the, the, the bigger picture. Talk about why this Content Inc. model of building an audience first is, as you say, perfect for today's economic environment in terms of both, uh, the emerging technology and the, the changing consumer behavior.
1: Sure. I, I mean, I've looked at, you know, I've read my fair share of books and whether you want, I talk about Peter Thiel's book, uh, in, uh, in content Inc and look at anyone on innovation or new products, or even the lean startup, uh, that I love that book by Eric Reese. Um, but but the but the the problem is everything comes out and says, "Oh, we need to have this amazing product first. Mm-hmm. and we're always focused on the thing we're going to create. And I said, well, Okay, let's look at all these amazing media case studies and let's, what, what did Brian Clark do at Copy Blogger? and what did Michael Stelzner do at Social Media Examiner? And how did Wally Koval build Accidentally Wes Anderson and how did Ann Reardon become the baking queen of Sydney, Australia? So I'm just, I, I just want to know how. So I'm looking at their business model and, you know, we basically, Uh, looked at the engineering of it and broke it down and said, oh, well, they're not focused on creating a product first. They're focused on, well, let's build an audience first. And then once we build that audience, we can sell them whatever they want. Or better yet, the audience will tell you exactly what they want to buy. And what I realized is this is the least risky business move of all. (laughs) I mean, you don't need – it's not – you really, if you're launching it, and this is what we're finding, and we talked about, you know, in s- some of the adaptations from my first version to this next version, we looked at a lot of these young, this younger generation that basically all they have is a smartphone. And mm-hmm. that's all you need. All you need to be in business today is a smartphone. That's why we're seeing this boom in entrepreneurship, and people are saying, "Oh, do I need an office?" I'm like, "No, you don't need an office." It's like, "Well, do I need a computer?" Well, you you could get a computer, but you don't need one. You got a smartphone, you're good. You can do everything. You do financials. You can do all your content creation. You can do everything. I know. Oh, today. And it's let me crazy. add that uh, in the book, you
0: even talk about award-winning films have been
1: produced entirely on an iPhone. <laughs> Yeah, t- Tangerine was a great. I think that was what? 18, 2018-2019. Yeah. They they shot the whole thing on I think a 5 <laughs> at the time and it was beautiful. So so you're like you don't there there's That's just no just one example of how
0: it's you don't have to go hire well in that case you don't have to hire a film company. <laughs> you don't have to no. hire a camera. You know, buy a camera, so much is available
1: now. Well, the interesting thing is, and you know this, we've talked about it on the show. I mean, I grew up in publishing. So I started in 99, 2000 working at a business publisher and to create content and to acquire an audience was very costly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it generally three, six, $9 a person or more per year. You had to qualify them. A lot of this was done in print. Uh, it was, I mean, and that we had a lot of technology at that time. Versus what they used to do with print in the, in the past. Now you don't have those costs today. There's no barriers to entry. It's really best content win. But what we find in the model, and we could talk about some of this, it's you have to have that differentiation area and you have to deliver consistently over time, which that's where most uh, enterprises get in trouble because they don't do either. (laughs) And that's why content marketing at most big enterprises don't work because they just don't follow this model.
0: Right. And there were a couple of times in the book where you wrote that the reason content
1: marketing fails is because it stops. <laughs> it, it's, it's a campaign. I, that's my biggest pet peeve, Douglas, because what I'll go in and I still have the opportunity to talk with a lot of marketers that work for some big, big brands and they're saying, oh, you know, we, we're working on this content marketing campaign. And I said, hey, can I stop you right there? Um if you if you said campaign you're not doing content marketing you're doing something else <laughs> yes. so you you doing ads you you doing you doing just a market by the way nothing wrong with a marketing campaign but as in a political campaign when when, it, when somebody says i'm running a political campaign that means at some point the campaign stops well yeah and it does it does. And, and in most <laughs> cases, thankfully, right? It guess, stops. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> and, and there's a win-loss. Side, or, yeah. Whatever side you're on, we're glad it's over, right? It's fantastic. But said that's the thing. When, when you say, oh, I'm going to create this blogging campaign and I'm going to target this group of people and I want this group of people's behavior to change over time. But as soon as you said campaign, I'm like, what is it? Not six months? Nine Ugh, months. I know you're not going to get anything in, a, in that campaign time period. That's why this is this is a marathon and not a, str- uh, a, a sprint. When you talked about the five million dollars in five years, I made that statement because generally most marketers and most content entrepreneurs they get itchy at that eighteen month, twenty four month, mm-hmm. and they give up. And yeah. that's the period that you have to battle through because you really create that strong asset in year two, three, and four.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how you identify that word campaign as a tell. You know like you're playing uh poker. And there's one that I always pick up on for email. When I hear like a prospect saying using the word blast as it relates oh, to email. That's a good one. That's another one where I can think, "Oh, and and not only that, and of course this is in your book too that they'll say, "Oh, I don't want to spam people." And it's like, "Well, well, don't. <laughs> they don't. Well, don't. But also, that, that's probably what they're doing. So, it usually is when they, they're using the word blast. I don't think they understand the idea of a voluntary audience. No, so. I got one. I got one the
1: other day that said, "Oh, we we're talking about their email program," and they said, "Oh, we, we hit our best open rate in a long time. And it's three and a half percent." And I'm like, "What?" Compared to their I'm own, like, there is a, and, and and what's scary is maybe that is good for them. Maybe that is good for their industry, but really you want to be around 17, 20% minimum. Yeah. On yeah. your Open rate, or you've got problems. Yes. You got problems. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I just got to mention one other thing here. I am such a fan of uh, Robert Rose and Carla Johnson, and you have, you mentioned them throughout the book, and yep. they're the authors of Experiences, the seventh era of marketing. And there was this one great section that I, just got me uh, so fired up and, and reaffirmed my my belief and interest in content marketing, you talk about uh, Don Schultz, who wrote Integrated Marketing Communications. And he talked about how any company anywhere in the world can copy everything about what you as a company do, except for one thing, how you communicate. The way we communicate with our prospects and customers is the one remaining way we can actually be different. And then you go on to write about Robert and Carla, in their book, they said that uh, valuable information and the experiences that customers have with our content is the ultimate differentiator. And that's a great book and explains all that. Mm -hmm. But I want to go on to the the thing I mentioned earlier, the sweet spot. And the sweet spot is the intersection of your expertise, your knowledge or skill area, Mm -hmm. and an audience's desire. And you explained that that's really where the strategy starts, and it's probably the hardest part. What are examples of sweet spots that you've, you've seen out there that have worked so well?
1: Well, first of all, you have to do that analysis of what you are actually good at, because you can't just say, oh, we can, you know we, we can be the best at knowing things about movies or NFTs or whatever. It's like, well, okay, does it have any basis for your company and for the expertise in your organization? So if you look at a company like Indium that manufactures industrial soldering equipment, Okay. First of all, they have some pretty powerful expertise in soldering. They have 27 engineers in that organization that probably know more about soldering than anyone else on the universe. So on that one side, great. They've got an expertise and a skill level, but you know what? That's not good enough because some people might not care. What they did, what they realized is that there's a whole bunch of engineers out there that have to understand the basics of soldering in order to take certain parts and put them with other parts to create their own manufactured goods. Mm -hmm. So they said, Oh, well, there, that's the, uh, that's the audience's desire. They have to understand the XYZs of soldering in order to accomplish their jobs and to get uh, raises and to get stock options or whatever else they're getting. So that's the intersection. It's okay. Indium understands the uh the ins and outs of soldering as it pertains to engineers and on the other side these engineers really need to know how to's and the implementation cases behind soldering great that's an awesome case study that's or that that's that's your sweet spot right there that intersection and where i see douglas is most people don't do the basic math behind that they just don't list it they're like It's actually the right side of that sweet spot that's the problem because they're not focusing on the audience's desire. When you create a content program, I would say most organizations say, oh, what what do I want to tell them? I want to talk about this. I want to tell this story. My CEO said we should talk more about this. The sales team wants us to talk more about this. The marketers want us to talk more about this. Well, all along, you need to be saying, okay, well, we're targeting B2B engineers that live in the Pacific Northwest that work at companies of 10,000 or more people. What do they care about? What are their pain points? Mm -hmm. And that's what most companies don't do. And what happens if you don't get a sweet spot that makes sense for your audience and you go through this whole process, it's not going to work. Mm. That's why you have to get it right (laughs) and figure out who is the audience we're targeting and why should they care? Why should they have anything to do with what you say unless that you're going to help them get a better job or live a better life in some way?
0: Yes. Measure twice, cut once. I want to ask you to explain this other thing. I, I'm a big fan of Scott Galloway, and he, you, you're right. Some people call the content entrepreneur, content creator industry the passion economy. Yeah. I believe that term is imprecise. As NYU professor Scott Galloway repeatedly says, follow your talent, not your passion. And this is true for the Content Inc. models. Explain
1: that. Well, here's a big change to the model. And this is what I found out. If you remember from the last version, we talked about the sweet spot had a component of passion around it. And I thought that that was a key component because I interviewed enough people that were passionate about writing or passionate about uh, engineering or whatever the case was. And as I did more research on these new case studies, I found out that it's nice to have, but it is not integral and what's what's cropped up in the last few years is this whole thing called the passion economy and people look at the industry or the classification of passion economy they said oh all these content creators are driving this whole economy because they're passionate about something they love uh, arts and crafts or they love nfts or they love uh, collectibles or or quilting. whatever 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 they love that and th- that passion is going to drive them to be amazing at something.
0: And every but, other college graduation speech is about
1: following your passion, which I also think is bad advice. Yeah, I think it's horrible advice. I think what we've done is we've given – and I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, we were talking about my kids before. I, I have my youngest son who's very passionate about certain things that he w- might want to go into that would do absolutely nothing for eating you can't monetize it like let's say that you are really passionate about commodore 64 computers Mm -hmm. that's great what do you do with that Uh, other than work in a museum i don't know yes what what uh, could you could you realistically start a blog or a podcast or a twitch stream all about commodore 64s because you're passionate about it no why because nobody cares so just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you should base your future or your business model behind it. So I think that what you need to do is, and we do this exercise in the book, what are you good at? What do you know? What makes, and then you have to do the, okay, who are we talking to? Why do they care? Why would they care? And then you match those two up. And And if you're passionate about it, great. But you know what will happen is when you're successful, that's what you're, you're going to get passionate around. Being successful feeds on itself. You're going to say, this is the most amazing thing. You're going to become passionate about it probably later because you're good at it. And it works. Mm.
0: Well, let's talk about audience. Uh, I, I just have to uh, read this one thing that made me laugh. Uh, you okay. write, uh, A few years back, I participated in a workshop for enterprise marketers in Toronto. In one conversation at the workshop, the blog manager for a billion-dollar technology company told me she was having problems with her blog. She had been adding more and more daily content to the blog and at the same time was seeing stagnant website traffic and far fewer subscribers and conversions. My first question was, who is the audience for your blog? She answered, We target 18 different audiences. Your response, I found your problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> A true story. I'd like to say the name of the company, and you'd say, Yep, that makes sense, but I'm not going to.
0: No, so, that's fine. No. But I, I and, and for all we know, she may have been told. To do oh, yeah, you know,
1: and it's probably not – she probably th- – they had the new role of, of content marketing manager or blogging manager, and they said, here's what you have to work with, and fill these – fill all these pipes. Mm-hmm. And generally, that's what happens in most organizations. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's we've got the we got the Twitter pipe and we got the LinkedIn pipe and uh, and we've got uh, oh TikTok pipe. We uh-huh. should do that. And we've got all these other things that we've got to fill with content. And don't forget and the email blast, email blast, of course, and and Twitch <laughs> and and Clubhouse now. And and by the way, generally, if you work for a business to business organization, you have between six to nine different personas, and what you try to say is all right well let's be efficient about this and how do we get the same message or you know minimal work out to these six to nine at the same time Mm -hmm. which is which is what happens and you know what it's completely irrelevant nobody cares you you can't be focused on an audience's needs or pain points if you're trying to target that broad of a gap or six different ones at the same time and it'll never work And most enterprises, that's what they do. So they don't niche down enough and say, you have to niche down your audience. So so whoever's listening, get your audience picture in your head. And then you figure out, okay, well, if I created a regular blog or created a a video series or whatever, an email series or whatever to them, and I did so on an ongoing basis around this niche, could I be the leading informational expert in the world for that group of people. And if the answer is no, or you don't know, then you're not niche enough. You have right. to go down a little bit more. And, if it, and you know, actually, a really good example, you gave me right before the show, because we were talking about another author. And I said, well, have you considered interviewing that author? And you said, not a good fit for my audience and my niche. Perfect. You know, you know exactly who your audience is. You know who you're talking to. You know what books make sense for them. And if you start to add in some things that don't make sense, what's going to happen? That audience is going to turn you off. Mm -hmm. So, and you already know that.
0: Yeah. Well. So anyway, let's talk a bit more about how you can still get through it. Uh, You can still go through, and that's where I want to talk about this content tilt, which I think is so important. And you mentioned. So many uh, people who I've interviewed in your book, uh, people I've met, and uh, you mentioned uh, Doug Kessler, who is one of my all-time favorite writers, and doggone it, I wish he would write a book so, so I could interview him. Well, brilliant. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. And he is so funny and foul mouth, oh. but that's okay, because I have a listener advisory that I can put at the beginning of the, the interview. But <clears throat> we're going <laughs> to talk about the uh, content tilt. Yes. And... uh you write that there are a lot of businesses talking about the same things in the same way. Sameness will never break through all the clutter. Doug Kessler calls this the mountain of meh, <laughs> mm-hmm. where businesses work to create content that just turns out to be like everything else. Meh. You, you go on to explain the content tilt. This is what I want you to talk about. The content tilt is that area of little to no competition on the web that actually gives you a chance to break through the noise and be relevant. Okay, it's easy to read that, but I think it's difficult for for companies to do. So, can you walk through uh, an example of a of a content tilt?
1: Uh, Yeah, I can give you a ton of them. Uh, I'd also like to throw out kudos since we were talking about Mark Schaefer before. He just wrote a book called Cumulative Advantage. Maybe you've heard of it. (laughs) And and he talks about, it's funny because I've been talking about the content tilt for by seven or eight years now. He, uh, Mark calls it finding the seam, which I like as well. It's basically mm-hmm. okay. I'm looking for that opportunity, and I'm you know I'm, let's say I'm a running back and I'm going to the line, and I'm trying. I say, oh, I see the seam, I see the opening, and then you hit that opening with a lot of force, and you try to break through. In this case, all the content clutter out there. Uh, the best example I've got. The best example I can give is what we did at, at Content Marketing Institute. So. Every, when we were talking about this concept of content marketing, it wasn't called content marketing. It was called custom publishing, uh, custom content, custom media, and really, nobody cared. There were no experts in the, in the field, and we wanted to target marketers. And we felt, I did a lot of research on it. I did Google Trends research on it. I did some one-on-one interviews around it, and I said, well, custom publishing, custom content, custom media, branded content are not resonating it will never resonate with this group of marketers. And if we want to break through the boredom, the sameness of content, whatever it is, if we want to get their interest, we have to figure out a name for it that will make sense. We went with content marketing. We made that decision in 2007. Nobody would ever used that term before on a mass basis. And by 2010, it was the de facto term for the industry. And I mean, if you look at the Google Trends chart on it, you'd just be amazed. So that, we basically made the content market for ourselves, called it something, and we were able to prosper because of it. And you talked about selling the company. That decision was probably the biggest thing that we made. HubSpot, marketing and automation company, did the same thing and called it inbound marketing. Mm-hmm. Had a book behind it, a blog behind it, a conference behind it. They created their own market. And oh, by the way, HubSpot's worth about $15 billion right now. <laughs> yes. At the time when they launched this, they were you know a couple million dollar company. So these things absolutely matter. So you have to figure out, okay, well, how can you find the differentiation area? Maybe you are an HVAC contractor and everyone's got a video series and a blog, but nobody has a podcast. Maybe your differentiation could be on the platform. Maybe the CEO of your company is the funniest person on the planet and likes to do uh, you know, interviews with people that write marketing books. <laughs> and you've just got a certain style about you, you could leverage that style and push through. And by the way, whether you love him or hate him, I always think of Joe Rogan when it comes to this because Joe Rogan, first of all, he's got a memory that I t- he remembers everything. I just can't believe and he's got a, and of course he's a comedian. He's really really funny. So his personality absolutely differentiates, even though he might have the same guests as somebody else. Joe is more successful. So look at some of the things that you can differentiate on. Is it a name? Is it calling something different? Is it having a different format? Um, I talked to a podcaster oh, uh, a podcaster the other day. Uh, his name is Nathaniel Whittemore. He runs the Breakdown Podcast. He's in the crypto industry. And he was telling me his differentiation was with his podcast, he does monologues. It's just him. And they're well thought out 10 to 12 minute mon- monologues. Everyone else in the industry does a QA format with a guest. He said, nobody else was doing monologues. I'm like, great, let's do that. So there's a lot of ways that you could differentiate yourself, but you have to spend some time. Once you identify the sweet spot, it's not good enough. And I'll just, the last example I'll give, Doug, is go type in cloud computing into Google and see what you come up with.
0: Ah, great and example. What you see, yeah. yeah,
1: what you see is, and you'll see some really good companies up there. Salesforce, uh, you'll see uh, IBM, uh, you'll see Amazon, you'll see Oracle with with all that. His, this is cloud computing. And you know what you find? It's all the same. Yeah. I can take a piece of content from IBM and throw it over on an Oracle and you wouldn't even tell the difference. So what are we doing here? Are we, what? Are we just wasting everyone's time? So we've got to figure out, how can we make this different? Andrew Davis calls it the hook, mm-hmm. which is a great way to do it. What is your hook? Like if you're thinking about a sitcom, television show, blogging, what's the hook that people are going to want to tune in every week? And you have to spend some time finding that.
0: Mm. And the book includes uh, ways on how to test your content tilt. So it's not all, all guesswork here. You can do a lot of testing and and be fairly uh, objective about this. Let's move on to – uh. uh the content mission. Um, sure. And uh, you're right. Besides the underlying business model, how the money comes in, there is one thing that media companies do in their content planning that non-media companies do not. <laughs> what
1: is that that they that they don't do? They, they don't set a content mission or an editorial mission statement. We would call it a content mission statement before they ever get started. I've gone in many times where – you've got organizations that have robust content marketing programs. They're doing blogging and email and videos and all kinds of stuff. And I go in, I say, okay, where's your overriding mission statement? Like, who's your who? What's your what? What's the audience outcome? And it's generally a a basic, it's a simple statement. I mean, if you go to a media company's site and you click on their about us, they generally have it. They'll say, you know, we are uh, we target uh, electrical engineers in the logistics space, and we deliver, you know, short form uh, content and blogs and informational series in the hopes that they'll get better jobs or careers or whatever. It's a very simple statement, but most organizations don't have it. And the problem is that if you don't have one and you don't review it, we talked about goals before. If you don't review it with your team on a regular basis, how do they know? How do they know who we're talking to? What kind of content that's really going to resonate with them? How do we know we're right? Maybe we need to change that statement ongoing. Mm -hmm. So it includes three things that's really important. It's who is your who? And you need to be very specific. You can't just say entrepreneurs. Like we just launched our company, The Tilt. We're not targeting content creators. We're not targeting entrepreneurs. We're targeting content entrepreneurs. Those are uh, content creators that actually want to create a sustainable long-term business. That's a very particular type of person, very particular motivations. Okay, what are you going to deliver? Are you going to deliver short blog posts that are bullet points? Are you going to deliver a podcast series? Are you going to deliver YouTube? You should start with one key platform. We call that the base. And then the most important thing is what is the outcome for that audience, for that reader, for that listener, for that viewer, And what I want to do is when you create your editorial calendar and you say, okay, well, here's the article we're going to write and here's the keywords, I want you to add a little audience outcome to that spreadsheet, and I want who's ever creating that piece of content to know this is what we want the audience member to get out of it. That we're trying to help them live a better job, live a better life, get a better job, do something, make some behavior. What do we want them to do so that we can help them? And if we help them, then ultimately they'll buy from us. And we've got to have that belief.
0: Amen. And uh, Andy Crestadina, author of uh, Content Chemistry, and I hope he's working on it. He said he's working on a sixth edition. I hope to get him back on the awesome. show. Yeah. Um, he calls this the XYZ method. Our company is where audience X – Finds content Y for benefit Z. Yep,
1: it's 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 fantastic. It's beautiful. Yeah, and that's yeah. he probably articulates it better than I could. But the, I've, I grew up. I mean, I grew up in publishing, and when I was at Pent Media, a bit large business-to-business business publisher, we had forty-seven different brands, and we had forty-seven different editorial mission statements. So that's where. So that's where you have to think. Well, you have a different audience. And you have a different content focus, you have a different mission statement. And that's where we talked about the woman with the 18 audiences. Ah, you probably need 18 different mission statements. This is, I mean, it's not rocket science, but you actually have to have a strategy.
0: Mm. Let's one other quote. You write, I cover the content mission statement in most of my keynote presentations. It's critical to first set the tone for building audiences and then generating revenue from or because of those audiences. Marketing professionals with both small and large businesses get so fixated on channels blogs, Facebook, TikTok, that they have no clue why they should use a channel in the first place. The why must come before that. Now, before we move on, I have a a friend here, uh, and I want to uh, have him help me make, uh, make a point. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Thanks, Ron. I'll take it from there. Awesome. So, (laughs) and this is, but this is truly important and probably one of the most counterintuitive things in the Content Inc. model. You're right. Most businesses begin their content creation journey and start slapping content everywhere in every possible format. They create Facebook posts and blogs and podcasts and videos and hope something resonates. This rarely
1: works. Why and what should they do instead? This is the problem. Actually, this is right now. This is the biggest problem that companies are having. It is rampant. Uh, it's it's like a spreading disease, and they're diversify immediately diversifying or diversifying too quickly with their content. And it ne- and as you just said, it just never works. And when I when I say that, I mean they'll say, "Okay, we want to create um, content around." Lego bricks, whatever you're talking about. Well, okay, we're gonna we're going to immediately do a YouTube series, a podcast series, a blog, a Twitter channel, uh, a LinkedIn, whatever the case is. You, you basically they become uh, jack of all trades, master of none, mm-hmm. and you can't be great by diversifying quickly. It never happens. It's never happened that I've seen it worked really well. When you look at the greatest media companies of all time. How have they been successful? They start out by being great at one thing with one content type. New York Times has a wonderful newspaper. Uh, TED Talks has had an amazing in-person event series. Huffington Post had one, started with one blog to one specific audience. Uh, PewDiePie, the YouTuber, just was a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. uh we talk about Matthew Patrick and his game theory uh, video series in the book. Amazing, Just started out as a YouTuber or are you a podcaster? or are you an email uh, newsletter writer? Whatever the case is, you start out with the base, one platform, one content type. If you do two or three or four, I just I'm just looking at the data, Douglas. It just doesn't work. <laughs> right. You just can't do it. So what you want to do is choose. And by the way, you could test it out. We talk about some people that are that are trying to figure it out. Maybe you don't know yet. Maybe you're going to test it out and say, oh, let's try a YouTube series first and a podcast, and we'll see which one resonates most, and then you can put all your chips to the one. Right. And then you've got to do that for 12 to 18 months and be the podcaster or the blogger or the YouTuber or the TikToker or whatever and not do everything, not mm. boil the ocean. This chapter, it's from this chapter, and the title of the chapter is Do One Thing
0: Great. And you mentioned the greatest media brands of all time began their journey by leveraging one main platform. This is where all Content Inc. models start. So let's go on to something else that's uh, even for folks that aren't uh, getting, getting going in the, this particular model, even if they're content marketers, you write. I've worked with hundreds of companies that launched new eBooks and white papers and hired freelancers and editors, only to find out midway through the process that much of the content they wanted had already been created somewhere else in the organization. I'm—we're uh, leaving the, the listener in suspense. What's that one seemingly simple thing that companies should probably do before they start
1: creating a bunch of content? Do a content audit. Do a content audit, please. Uh, It happens all the time. So this is not for a a brand new content creator. This is for anyone in a company that's already created content. So what will happen is somebody will get an idea to do something. It generally, if you have multiple departments, especially in marketing, they don't talk to, you know, they don't talk to each other very well. So they don't know what's been created. We've worked with so many companies that say, Oh, I want to do this research project or this blog series or what, or we want to retain you to start a magazine or on this topic. And we said, okay, well, has anybody created content in the organization like this before? And they said, not, not that we know of. I'm like, Uh-oh. uh oh. We, okay, well, let's go in. And then you've got to go in and you've got to, you got to look at the web content. You've got to look at, you got to interview people. You've got to talk, bring the different uh, organizations in and figure this thing out because generally somebody has already done something with it. And the most, this is, I couldn't believe this actually happened. This is probably, it was probably like a, Two hundred fifty thousand dollar program. Just a, it's just an initial research program. This was a larger enterprise that we're putting putting this together. They did all the work. They got everything going. They were almost upon completion, and somebody, because they had a conversation down the hall, figured out that about a year and a half before they did the same project, <laughs> they had all the data already. They could have done the second version of it, but they 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 couldn't because they didn't even know. So yes. basically, do a content. You could do a. You can hire somebody to come in and do an official audit, but at least do a simple audit. Figure out okay, what content do we have on our website? What do we have on our podcast? What did we do in YouTube? What somebody has to keep track of these presentations. Things. Presentations, you've got interviews, you've what Ugh. CEO has written some things. Like you've got to put the whole thing down. Somebody has to keep that's why why you have content strategists in an organization to keep track of these things and to know where we can reuse things, where we need to do where there are content gaps that we need to focus on, where we need to kill some content out there and take it off, or where we need to update it. And updating is there's that's a whole that could be a whole nother book, Doug. Yeah, because, because there's so much horribly old content out there that people just forgot to update. And that is Andy Crestadina talks about this all the time. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest opportunities you already have standing in Google. It's been it's aged content, it's out there, people are already finding it. But you have old content out there that, that people are going to and they're going somewhere else. Yeah, What's an opportunity they're already going there, just update the content.
0: And you know what? Uh, The secret to getting ahead is getting started. Just start by looking at your most traffic pages.
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) and then work your way work your way down. But also, when a company I'm talking to, let's say a prospect or something, and they say, "We don't have any content," my first reaction is to want to say, "Yes, you do." You, always, don't, hey, you, you don't have do. to uh, reinvent the wheel here. There's some things that need to be done, but you don't need to, please don't tell us you need all of this redone. So no, then-
1: no, here's, here's a really good story. This And this is a true story. Not that, you know, they're all true stories, but this is really true. Mine aren't, but Joe's yeah, are Well, the, there, there was one company that I didn't work with, but Robert Rose did. Uh, and they were doing a rebrand and they had a th- about a thousand PDFs on their... Uh, in their site that they there was a kind of a customer repository for information and they had to go through, they thought they had to go through each one of those and update them. And they did. And it took time for somebody to go into each one. This is not like a universal change that you could make. They had to go in each one, reload the the uh, PDF and get, a, get everything done. Okay, great. Then somebody after the fact said, well, maybe we should check usage before <laughs> we actually update them. They found out there were only really three of those thousand that people were using on a regular basis. Mm. So they really could have just updated the three <laughs> right. and done. Yeah. But no, so it's, it's little things like that, that you could just, somebody has got to ask a question. Yeah. Say, okay. What, what are we doing here?
0: There's usually some sort of Pareto principle going on where like 20% of your, uh, site is generating 80% of the, and that's true uh, of the that traffic. Just true. start with that and don't, don't beat yourself up about that. So, uh, Moving on, Joe, you write that more marketers are focusing on content promotion than ever before. What, why, why is that, and, and what are some ways to promote your content?
1: Well, the, the biggest... I uh, thought if you I, just hit the publish button, you were done. Yeah, you'd think so, right? I think the biggest um, issue, one of the bigger issues that we're seeing right now is when somebody hears content marketing... They think about mostly content creation. Yes. I have to create the content. I have to create the blog. I have to create the podcast or whatever. They're all thinking creation and then they have published and they think their job is done. What we, what, what I would recommend is that instead of putting 100% of your budget to content creation, when you start out a program like this, you put about 25 to 30% in content creation and about 75% to content promotion and mm. distribution. And that means. We want to market the content. We want to market the marketing. Yes. Because what is the use of you doing anything if you're not going to actually build an audience over time for that content? So if you wrote an amazing blog post, but nobody read it, did you write it? I mean, is it a thing? (laughs) If a tree falls, right? We don't know. We don't know. So what we want to do is we want to set that up for success. So that's where you treat it like a product you treat your content like a product, you create the blog, you create the podcast series, you should have a promotion and a distribution plan to go along with that. So over time, you can build a loyal audience. And that's where you have a lot of content marketing programs that die because nobody planned in to actually market the content.
0: Mm, Such a blind spot. And not to keep talking about uh, Mark Schaefer, but I know he's listening to this, and he's feverishly typing away on his next book. His next book,
1: absolutely, stay ahead
0: of Joe Polizzi. But he has a book called The Content Code, and it, you know, it, it, he he tackles this issue uh, of oh, great, you got the content. Now there are a certain number of things that you simply must do, or to promote
1: it, or you shouldn't produce it in the first place. Or why? Yeah, why? Why? Why do it? And that's where <laughs> people that's where people get frustrated. They think that uh, it's like a magic pill or something you take if you just hit the publish button and it will magically happen you know i'm a podcaster you're a podcaster it takes time energy and promotion and doing things within a process in order to gain subscribers and here's the other thing and maybe we'll talk about this later but you have to consistently deliver to keep subscribers because if you miss a week what happens your numbers go down yeah
0: and in the podcast world there are over a million podcasts now so it's really all about the content. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you picking this podcast uh to be a guest on. Uh, Joe Polizzi. <laughs> Boy, so
1: have got to write another book so I can be out there for a sixth time. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, cuz you really don't want to, you know, show up at content marketing world and have uh, Mark Schaefer trash talking you from the stage. You know, if he
1: if oh if he goes up on stage at Content Marketing World and says that he is the the number one interviewed, he's guest the king of the marketing, of the marketing, book, marketing book podcast. podcast yes. I am going to throw something at him. He, know, it's, I'm coming for you, Mark.
0: Okay, you heard it here <laughs> first, folks. It's going to be a uh, a marketing book podcast uh, throwdown. It's a celebrity death match. Yes, so I want to read this and ask you to explain it, because y- you seem like a really nice guy, but you r- you write about theft, okay? And there's even mm-hmm. a, a chapter called Stealing Audience. You write, some marketing professionals might call this chapter influencer marketing, but I'd rather just tell it like it is. The goal of building a relationship with an influencer is an influencer is is, uh, is the place where the people in your audience are hanging out on the web, if they are not in your site, is to steal the influencer's audience and make it yours. I say this in the nicest way possible.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, just like I'm, I, I mean, and God love you, you're letting me do it. Uh, just like I might steal some, hopefully, steal some of your audience. Yes. Maybe get the book. Maybe decide, hey, I like what Joe's talking about. I'm going to subscribe to the Tilt, become an audience member there. That that's how it's done. And, and listen that, to this old marketing. Listen to this old marketing or Content Inc. podcast or whatever. I mean, this is this is how it's done. And this is a spe- now entrepreneurs are better at this than most uh, enterprises are terrible at it <laughs> because. And for some reason, you don't see a lot of, of the, you know, the evangelists within an enter- enterprise or the, the writers of the blog posts or the, uh, the people in the videos. They're not getting out there and doing that extra step. And this is part of marketing the content. So as you go out there and you create this thing and you're creating this name for yourself, whatever the content brand is, whatever you're trying to do, you have to get out there and share it and get it in front of these influencers so that that audience that they've built, that loyalty and trust, and obviously you've built an amazing audience here. They trust you. They trust you enough to know, he, he, hey, he's had Joe on five times. <laughs> I mean, this has got to be something. Maybe Joe actually knows what he's talking about. They'll check me out and then go ahead and, and become part of, of our audience. And I'm sure part of my current audience is from listening to your show back when we did the number one and whatever it was, 2014. So this is something you have to build into the plan these there's a lot of ideas in the book about it you can do research around it you can do lists around it you can do all kinds you could do podcast guests around it all kinds of things you just have to build it into the plan
0: Yes, and there have been a few books on the show about uh, influencer marketing. You even mentioned uh, Neil Schaefer, uh, "Age of Influence," oh, an great excellent book, book. really, great book. really beautifully written, as well as a few others. And uh, one of the big mistakes that so many companies make with influencer marketing is they think they're buying an ad. No, 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 <laughs> you're building a relationship uh, that's mutually uh, the, beneficial.
1: The, and, and Neil talks about this, and this is what's important when you're when you make that influencer list and basically, okay, where's your audience hanging out? You make that list. And you figure out, okay, these are the people that we want to build a relationship with. The first thing you ask is, what can I do with that influencer? Like, like, do they need more traffic? Do they need revenue? Because maybe they don't need revenue. Maybe they want to do some distribution deal. Do they need it? Maybe they need a research project that you can help distribute. Yes. There's all kinds of things that you can do. So just like with your content mission statement, when you're asking what you can do for that audience, you your audience in this particular strategy are the influencers. And you have to figure out what can I do? What can I do for Doug? Like after this whole thing, like maybe you, you produce the podcast and you're saying, you know what? I would like to go out to your audience, Joe, so maybe you can share this with your audience because you've got people that read marketing books. Maybe they can be one. Of, so we'll do it vice versa and help each other. Yeah. So that's yeah. what we're talking about.
0: And and I, I just like what you said. What can I do for Doug? I, I rarely hear that uh, from, uh, well... From anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about my family or my brothers or my wife or... For kids, it's that's all ahead for you there. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're a great dad. I know that. So, let's talk about social media selection again. These may seem really obvious, but they're not done. You're talking about you know you have to you do have to pick uh, some social media, and there are ways you know questions you should be asking yourself if you should even be on a certain social media platform. And one of them is what is the goal of this channel, and what is the desired action we want the audience to take? And the problem is it seems like there's so much check the box marketing, a term I learned from our friend, Nick Westergaard. And they say, no, no, just get it, get it out there. Instead of saying, well, wait a minute, these are all very different channels and each channel has a different type of, uh, media consumption. They, they, uh, some places they want to be entertained, some places they want to lean forward and learn some places they, they want to connect with people and that, that type of thing. Uh, so, I think that you know when the boss comes in on a Monday and practices what I like to call management by in-flight magazine, and they <laughs> throw that in-flight magazine on the conference table and points at the marketing person and says, hey, let's put it all in TikTok. <laughs> These yep. are two really important questions. You could say, okay, what, what's the goal of us being on that channel? And let's hope that we you're working for a company that does have some stated goals. And w- what is it we want people to do on that particular uh, channel, what I wanted to ask, though, is you mentioned that Facebook is your least favorite platform for a secondary audience building. Why?
1: Why is that? I'm not a Facebook fan. I have, uh, I think, I mentioned quite a few times in the book that I could do without it if you we have a subscriber hierarchy there that talks about the most important channels and from a control standpoint and facebook is at the very bottom because you have no control over what you put on facebook whether Mm -hmm. it's in a facebook group or whether it's organically in your facebook feed generally if you get a one percent rate of them showing your stuff that's probably average maybe that's good it's going to get worse by the way it's going to go down to zero i think yeah. So basically, Facebook. Well, and, Facebook said they want it that way. They 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 want all the control. They want all the algorithm, and they have it. They have all the algorithm control. Um, they're creating. You know, they're doing their own content deals. They're creating their own content. So ultimately, uh, are we necessary as the user? I mean, obviously, if you're if you're a part of. Um, a social media network and you're not paying anything, then you are the product. You have to remember that. Mm -hmm. So they're using you to generate more revenue. They're going to do whatever it takes to generate more revenue. That's all they care about um, from that standpoint. And the thing is, is that, okay, if you create any kind of programming on that channel, how do you... Unless you're buying ads, that's a different, like if you say, I'm going to buy ads and I'm going to heavily promote this, this is, one, this is a different thing. But if you're organically trying to get people to see it, almost impossible to do Yeah, on Facebook. And so even, okay, let's say that you do. Let's say that you pay some ads and you get, like, if you look at, uh, I think I looked at Toyota's uh, page on Facebook and I think they've got 16 million people following that page. All right. So first of all, they got 16 million people following their page. And if the social media manager at Toyota types something up and wants those 16 million to see it, you're going to see less than 1% of those people will actually see it. Okay, great. Not really good, right? You don't have a lot of control over <laughs> And they over probably that. spent a, ty- a lot of time and money building that That's audience it. on Facebook. And you know what they did? They spent a lot of time building up Facebook and not their own connections. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. So you might say, I've got an audience of 16 million on Facebook. It's like, no, you don't. Facebook has that audience of 16 million. <laughs> you sort of have your brand associated with it, and at the end of the day you have no control or no direct access to that audience. How do you feel about them Apples? Mm-hmm. And they can you know, take you right. off, and they can ban you and we've seen Even if it's happen- a mistake. Yeah. We've seen it happen on Facebook and Twitter and other properties. You can get banned for the weirdest reasons and so you ha- you ha- you are the product you have no control they're a private company they can do whatever by the way they can do whatever they want i'm not saying they can't or they're making a bad business decision i'm saying if i'm a content creator or a content marketer i don't want to be relegated to those platforms so what i want to do is move up the chain and get as close to email as i can opt in email. So you get the permission from somebody, and then you have the control to communicate with them when you want to. And if you do it well and deliver value consistently, you will keep them as an audience member. That's the best way to do it.
0: Yes. And actually, you mentioned email. Joe Polizzi, what is the metric that drives this entire
1: model? Uh, Email, 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 email. I can't say it enough. Email. Now, granted, I always have to put this out here because you never know what, I mean, Things can change, but I've been saying this for like 12, 13 years. Uh, In six to nine months, there might be something out there that may change, but right now email is the number one revenue driver, behavior driver, Anything that you can think of from a content creator, it is email. So that means what we've seen, and we, we share a lot of examples, as you know, in the book, when you start a podcast, that maybe that's your base, and that's great. Do that for 12 to 18 months. But at some point, you want to have more control over that communication, direct communication one-on-one with somebody, you want to create an email offering. You have a YouTube channel, you want to create an email offering. You have a, um, a clubhouse, whatever. Uh, Twitter spaces, email offering. You got a LinkedIn group, email offering, because you don't have any control to do really anything on those other platforms. Podcasting, I like a little bit, because you have some control. Mm -hmm. But on the other social media platforms, you don't. So you got to make sure at the end of the day, you have the most control as possible. And then the last thing I'll just throw out, if you look at the valuation of a media company out there, look at BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, look at uh, The Athletic, look at uh, New York Times, whatever, why has their valuation gone up over the last couple of years? It's because of their email strategy. Mm. A lot of people don't realize this. It's these amazing segmented and targeted emails that are driving everything in these companies. And so we could we should take a page out of their book.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of uh, speaking, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was revenue, and uh, a couple couple questions about revenue. There was a, a again another quote from uh, Doug Kessler. You, you talk about. When it comes to revenue for your content, Inc. program, it's all about ripples. This is something that he mentions. Love that. When we begin a content, Inc. approach, we are most likely unsure what the revenue possibilities could be. Explain what he means about the, the ripples.
1: So what happens is, and by the way, I love revenue ripples. There's something about him saying that. It just makes it perfect. When you build a loyal audience you get to what we call a minimum viable audience. And it's a, an audience large enough that you can actually drive some kind of a KPI, KPI or revenue from that. There are 10 different types of revenue opportunities. And we talk about, we break these down in the book. There's six direct, just like media companies would have, such as advertising sponsorship, events, premium content, donations, affiliate subscriptions. And then the outside four are your marketing uh goals that you would, you might want to sell more products more services you want to keep customers more loyal or you want to create better customers better yield you might go in with a hypothesis of oh we are we are creating this audience on youtube because ultimately we feel that people that watch us on youtube will spend more money with us uh, and let's say we're john deere they're gonna buy they're gonna buy more uh john deere tractors or more expensive ones or whatever the case is but you may not hit that or you may hit that or you, and you may find all new ones that you just never expected. Like you might say, Oh, um, you go back to John Deere because we're on John Deere. You, John Deere created the furrow magazine years and years and years ago. Well, they delivered that to John Deere users. And what they found was as those John Deere, uh, users engage in that magazine, those, people actually bought John Deere's year after year after year after year and were very, very loyal to John Deere. Did they expect that? I don't know if they expected it to that degree. Did they expect to sell more products? Since they're, I don't know. Did The great example we talk about in the book is um Marcus Sheridan and River Pools and Spas. Mm-hmm. I love this example. Mar- River Pools and Spas, they created an amazing blog. They basically, all they did was install fiberglass pools in a very small area of the United States. Then... They created this blog that just took off and everyone's calling Marcus for advice and they're like, okay, we only service this small area. We we have this huge growth opportunity. Well, now they manufacture Mm -hmm. fiberglass pools. If that blog wasn't created and they didn't build a loyal audience, they would have never manufactured pools. Yes. But that was a revenue ripple that they just never expected to happen. This is what happens when you create a loyal audience because ultimately the loyal audience will tell you exactly what they want to buy and you might not have expected it. By the way, that's how Content Marketing World started. We did not plan at the beginning to launch Content Marketing World. That was our blog subscribers emailing us and messaging us and saying – who, why isn't there a big content marketing event? If there was, I'd take my whole team to it. And I said, oh my God, that's a great idea. Let's <laughs> Thanks that. for
0: mentioning it. Yeah, yeah, you started out more as a, like a matchmaking for companies yeah. that needed content and that really wasn't getting traction. But a lot of those people were saying, that's great, Joe, I don't need help with that. But what I do need is training and events and other types of things. At which point you said, if I had to guess, you said, no, we're following this model. At which point Pam said, Joe, Joe.
1: Listen to I these people. Too stubborn. I stubborn. You're right. And like most entrepreneurs, I was stubborn. I fell in love with the product. Yeah. And that's what we talk about in the book. Don't fall in love with your product. Fall in love with your audience. Yes. And your audience will tell you exactly the future, future roadmap. And I don't care if you're in an enterprise and you're a content marketer or you're an entrepreneur. If you're building an audience, then listen to that audience. Know that audience better than anything else. And they will tell you exactly what they want to buy.
0: Mm, so true. So Joe, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I
1: think right now, because I'm assuming that most of the listeners here have, whether they're in sales or marketers, there's a lot of content going on. Mm -hmm. I don't want them, obviously, I want them to create a strategy, but I don't want you to create more content. I probably want you to go back to the office, look at all the mess you're creating out there, and kill some things. Like, really shut some things down. And the things that you're mediocre at, like like Doug Kessler said, that mountain of meh, Let's let's kill some of that meh. Let's get rid of it so that we can focus on doing some amazing things and create, as Robert Rose and Carla Johnson said, create some amazing content experiences for your audience. Be better by them instead of being mediocre at everything and falling into the clutter that we talked about and nobody caring at all. Great answer. And I hope everyone noticed
0: that Joe Polizzi used the word kill. And he's the author of (laughs) Killing Killing Marketing. (laughs) And the murder mystery, the will to die. Yes, so, I have a thing for that. I, there's a, I there's a yeah, sort of a, a death there's undercurrent here. But it, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> That's Joe Polizzi, founder of the Content Marketing Institute, saying, wait a minute,
1: don't produce more content right away. <laughs> hey, it, it's, it's a problem. We, we think just because we can, we should. Yeah. And I'm out there saying, no, you shouldn't. You actually, You should be creating less and better. Instead of more and worse, so yes. Yeah. So, is there one thing a listener could do today to put in
0: action an idea from from your book or, or from our conversation? Just something they could go do today
1: to uh, get going. And even in the book, you talk about habits, building habits. I get, and this is a this is not just a marketer thing. And I I start with the first couple chapters of the book being about goal setting and life setting mm-hmm. because I think that's so important. So what I would do. And there's a portion in the book, but you don't need the book to, to go through this. I would list out your, the key things that you, that you, that matter to you in your life. Like, what is your financial goal? What is your career goal? What's your spiritual goal? What's your mental goal? What's your physical goal? And what's your philanthropic goal? And, and those are, those are six key areas. And what I'd like you to do is under each one, set a goal for the next 12 months and whatever that is. So, Maybe you want to uh, you know, go drop down a pant size or something like that. Maybe maybe during COVID, you got a little overweight. Or you did that. Of, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's because I wanted to, you know, I was- I remember I was, that. Busting, I was busting out of, you know, I was getting into 36s and I was getting a little worried. I've always been a pretty thin guy and uh, I started gaining some weight and I said, oh, I'm going drop down to 32. So I always say that's in my goals. Like I stay at mm-hmm. a thirty size 32. So something like that, you put that in there and put that in like you've already done it. I, or, or like you are it, like I, I have a pant size of 32 or I spend an hour a day with my kids. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, you review that in the morning, review it before you go to sleep at night, have those be your tenants for the next 12 months and you will be amazed. You will, you, those things will happen before your eyes and then you'll read it and you're like, Oh yeah, that is it. That's, that's a truth now. That's not even a goal.
0: Yes, those uh, it could go on one page. You've got financial, family, spiritual, mental, physical, philanthropic. That's so it. great advice. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Doesn't have to be a marketing or sales book.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were, you, you know, I'm a big fiction guy. It's one of the reasons why I wrote The Will to Die because I, I love uh, mystery novels. There's and is there another, is there a sequel coming? Well, it's funny. Uh, I mean, we didn't get into this, but you knew when you interviewed me for The Will to Die, you were nice enough to interview me for The Will to Die just because there's a marketing lead character. But I planned on being a novelist. I didn't plan on writing another marketing book. uh, But because of COVID, I totally changed everything. And now I'm I'm writing marketing books again, and I've I've got a new business. And it's just, I thought I could do more good doing this. So I stopped doing the second novel. And here I am doing the marketing thing again, so. and
0: like a moth to the flame, nah, you're drawn to the marketing book podcast.
1: Yes, they just keep bringing me back. I can't, I can't stop it. So there's a, I, I'm a big Jack Reacher fan from Lee Child. So I've always, I've, I've read most of those. Um, there's a book series that I just got on now by Robert McCammon. It's the the uh, Matthew Corbett series, which I'm just about to get into book two. I'm so excited about it. The first book was 800 pages long. Oh. It was one of the best mystery novels I've ever written in my life. And then I have to throw this out, and I probably mentioned this on almost every show. I can't remember. But every year I read Stranger in a Strange Land. By Robert Heinlein, which I feel is the, one of the greatest books of all time. And I use that because there's a, especially there's a part in that book about focus and so, and to do the content model and to do anything in life, you have to have focus. And that book teach, teaches you in a strange, really strange way uh, about focus. And I'm a big believer of that. So it's a great book from, if you like science fiction books, but just on uh, life behaviors and learning how to, how to be a successful adult. Uh, There's just a lot of things in that book, too.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. And we're going to include links to everything linkable at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now a word to you, dear listener, please do me a big favor and reach out to Joe Polizzi and thank him for being on the show. You do it on LinkedIn or Twitter or go to to his uh, website, sign up for his newsletter. Just thank him for being on the podcast. As I mentioned earlier... There are over a million podcasts. He's got his own podcast, but yet he's decided to spend time with this knucklehead. And, uh, and, and frighten Mark Schaefer. I mean, let's be honest. There's, 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 there's multiple uh, uh, motivations we have, but it really <laughs> will make his day if, if you reach out to Joe. He's the friendliest guy in the world. Don't let all those comments I made about killing and death uh, frighten you off. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The book is Content Inc., Second edition, start a content-first business, build a massive audience, and become radically successful with little to no money. The author is Joe Polizzi. Joe, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Douglas, you are so kind, and I'm looking forward to number six. And uh, I just got to get started on that next book. So we will see you soon.
0: All right. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever. Challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living, self education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.